On Game Developer Podcast Episode 30, we have Roberta and Ken Williams, co-founders of Sierra Online and the minds behind legendary games like King's Quest and Mystery House, discussing their return to game development after 25 years and the recent revival of a text-based adventure game classic. Back in a sec. Welcome back to the Game Developer Podcast. Uh, I'm Alyssa McAloon, publisher at GameDeveloper.com and one half of your podcast host lineup for today. Um, we'll hop into today's chat with Ken and Roberta Williams in just a second here. But first, here's what's going on in the game developer world. Uh, first and foremost, and moving forward, I hope, uh, I'm joined by co-host and GameDeveloper.com editor-in-chief, uh, Danielle Rendeau. Hi, Danielle. How's it going? Yeah, I'm, I'm doing good. How are you today? How's your day? How's your week? How's your life? Yeah, no, it's going great. I want to say you've been with us for, oh God, since November, which isn't it is that long three ago, months but it today. feels like you've it's, been here forever. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's amazing. Honestly, yeah, it's, it's three months today, which is very exciting. It's not oh, like I have a month-long anniversary for every month <laughs> I've been somewhere. I really don't always do that. But hey, you know, it's a short month, so it's it's a funny one. And it's, yeah, of course, yeah. February, which, you know, happens. Uh, but yeah, it's been great. I have uh, hopefully hit the ground running, uh, doing a little bit of everything on the site and very excited about it, including podcasting uh, with a couple of like amazing game industry luminary icons, people who made, you know, the adventure genre that I love so much and occasionally like to make little games in myself. So uh, really exciting chat. <laughs> It's a really good one to join in on for your first podcast here then, too. Like, we nailed it with that. I did it on purpose. I knew all of it. Yes! Going you knew. You just knew. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I know. So you've obviously got a media background. I'm going to have you talk about that a little bit, like what yeah. brought you to game developer. But you've also dabbled in game development, like you mentioned. I don't. You want to talk up like, your history and your projects you're working on or anything like that? Oh, I would love to. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, professionally, obviously, I come from, uh, I, I'm celebrating also another anniversary, 10 years as a full-time game writer uh, this yes. very month, here in March, uh, as this is released. So very exciting. I've worked at places like Polygon, Waypoint, Fanbyte, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but yeah, in, you know, at night, I suppose you could say. So that's by day. But by night, I'm actually a game design teacher. I teach at the Berkeley College of Music. I teach a sort of found, like a foundational game design course. And I've been making games since, I want to say 2009, maybe was my first baby steps into sort of using Unity I used Flash for a while. I definitely had fun with some Twine. Uh, but yeah, I make like little basically simple adventure games and little puzzle games and things like that. So I really, 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 really nerd out <laughs> when it comes to a lot of our content here. A lot of our developer, especially our developer uh, written uh, pieces, our deep dives and things like that. I absolutely lose my mind. I'm like, how they designed that puzzle? Oh my God. Like, I'm like clicking as if I was you know, reading a comic book and I was eight and very excited absolutely. about it. So yeah, it's, it's really good stuff. So I think I landed in the right place, I'd like to say. Well, that's what I like to hear uh, after three months. So I'm really <laughs> glad you're not disappointed. <laughs> but no, we're so happy to have you. And I could talk to you for a full episode here. Maybe we will at some point, honestly, that would be wonderful. <laughs> Um, yeah, it'll be fun. <laughs> but I do want to highlight, uh, before we jump into today's chat and the guests of uh, Capital H Honor today, um, yeah. I do want to just highlight a couple things coming up for our sibling organization, GDC, next month. Um, and yeah. next month, a couple of mere weeks away at this point. Um, I don't want to talk <laughs> yeah. about it too much. My eyes are getting wider as I say all this out loud. <laughs> Um, yeah. But one really cool series the GDC folks are doing this year, and I believe it's new, um, 
And this is me speaking as someone who has literally, literally uh, jogged across Moscone to make it to a oh talk in time, like up escalators, like out of breath. <laughs> oh, no. Horrible. There's a lot going on at GDC. Um, so this year, the folks behind the conference have started creating session guides to help everyone find the talks and content that matters most to them and some helpful tips nice. along the way. Uh, yeah. So those are broken down by interest area, like production and team leadership or programming for educators or students or even first time attendees. So they're really cool re little resources. They go over like Summit and Core Talks that you might be interested in, um, tips for getting the most out of the show, and some GDC Vault videos that you can watch before or after the event also uh, to kind of get some knowledge built up whether you're at the show or not. So they're really cool. I love that they're doing them. I hope they continue to do them because I just think they're really interesting. Um, yeah. so you can check those out at gdconf.com. Yeah, they're really good. I just want to say I definitely have used those before, and I've definitely taken a look at things and been like, oh, my God, this is very helpful. I didn't want to miss that talk or, oh, my God, this is this production thing. Again, production nerd, but this production thing. Oh, my God, I can't miss this. So, yeah, they're really nice little resources. They're fun. To yeah, read. It can be nice because, like, the session scheduler, uh, not a GDC plug, just in general, like, has a lot of content on it, and there are some really good filters there. Um, yeah. Sometimes you don't know where to start. <laughs> so, like, these are, these, I've been using them, too. They're so wonderful. Uh, yeah. Thanks to the folks at GDC. Your work, hard work is appreciated. I love that content. Yes. Love that content. There's my sound clip for it. <laughs> <laughs> I love that content. <laughs> uh, so I guess all that said and done, let's dive into today's interview. Hey, this is your editor version of Alyssa popping back in. Uh, just with a quick heads up, we did have some audio issues while recording today's episode. Um, we've patched them up to the best of our abilities, but apologize for any um, rough patches along the way. Enjoy the chat. They are the duo behind Fiery Entertainment and recently making their re-entry into the world of game development with Cygnus Entertainment and Colossal Cave 3D. Game Developer Podcast welcomes Roberta and Ken Williams today. Hey guys, thanks for joining us. Oh, it's our pleasure. Thank you. I feel like, I don't know, I just want to like jump in here and dig into it too, because just the pitch for Colossal Cave is such an interesting concept. Like that's what won me over the email funded line is making like a text-based game reimagining as like a 3D creation, which is an entire like endeavor, right? Like I feel like it's a very open-ended thing to get into, but like it, it was such an influential game for you guys early on. Um, so I guess where did the inspiration come from? What made you want to do this? Well, Roberta, I'll let you take these. Okay. All right. Yeah, that's kind of a it's a kind of a famous story, I guess you could say, from from way back um, when we first started Sierra Online. Um, and people would would ask me or Ken, but um, I guess primarily me to a certain extent as to why Colossal Cave and you know and and how that influenced me. Um, and it definitely influenced me back in uh, 1980, and uh, I I started playing this game. It was just a text text adventure game. I had no idea what it was. Ken had brought in. Uh, he was uh, Ken is a programmer extraordinaire, and he was then, and he is now. Uh, and so he had a day job of, of being a um, software you know manager for a large uh, corporation, but also was doing contract programming at night. And he was bringing home a teletype machine. And uh, so he could do his contract work. You know, he could he could sign on into the the computer at the corporation. And uh, on on this uh, corporation's uh, IBM mainframe computer, he was uh, one day he was going through some of their uh, th through their server and found a few little games. And one of them was one called Adventure. And it was, uh, he looked at it and it looked like to him like it was a little story, you know, like a story that you could, you could explore, you could go through it. It was all text. 
and you would uh, communicate with it by typing in one or two words, uh, commands. And uh, I think he thought that I might be interested in, in seeing this because I'm really big into stories. And he showed it to me and said, hey, you know, you might want to check this out. I, I just had our second child and I was staying home with him and our, our other son and wasn't working at that moment. And so I said, well, yeah, sure. And so I started playing it and it was immediately pulled into it because uh, being a, a, the bookworm that I was always as a child and loving um, fairy tales and, and adventure tales, it, it just pulled me right in because now I'm exploring this cave and this story and it's going forward, but I could type to it and it would answer me back, which was you know, um, nothing I'd ever seen before. And it was the idea of being able to kind of maybe read a book, but you could decide where you want to go in it. It was sort mm -hmm. of like that, you know, for me, um, like an interactive book, sort of. And that's the way I thought of it. And I just, I got obsessed with it. I loved it. I played it. I solved it. I got all the points, et cetera took me probably a month or, or more to do it. And I wanted to play more games like it. Um, and there really weren't. And uh, not really. And and I just said, well, you know, I couldn't believe that I was so taken with it like this. I'd never, I'd never been so taken with anything in my life. And I just was, uh, just sat down one day. I, I just started doodling up maps, you know, and coming up with an idea for a game that would be a text story, you know, kind of story-like adventure game like that, only of my own. And that's how Mystery House, my very first game, came about and asked Ken to program it for me. I, I've had some programming experience and computer operation experience, but nothing where I could program a game. And uh, he agreed, and we were, we started working on the little game that I made up together. We called it Mystery House, and uh, that started Sierra Online, and it started my career. So now with this game, Colossal Cave, we had been uh, retired for 25 years. We sold our company in 1997 and uh, did a lot of other things. Pandemic hits, and we're in lockdown, and... We're, tr we're discussing what to do. We're, st we're staying home, and he wanted to get back into programming and maybe think about doing a little game. And I said, well, what about Colossal Cave? And uh, we just started working on it. The game industry has to have changed, like, just maybe a little bit since in the last <laughs> 25 years or so. <laughs> just a fair assumption there, right? Like, what was it like jumping back into, like, the tech side of it even? The industry hasn't changed. I always claimed that we were in the uh, entertainment business and yeah. people's appetite for being entertained never changes. And we, um, I mean, you know, that if anything, it's gotten a little easier to develop games and that the tools are well, way better. When I did Mystery House, I mean, we had no text editors. We had no, well, there was no concept of animation. There was nothing. Uh, even in the final days of, um, you know, kind of our last big games with King's Quest Eight and Phantasmagoria, um, they, I mean, you know, you know, I don't know. I mean, I'm not sure what to say. I mean, it's, um, 
like Roberta says, when we went back to game development, it just felt like, you know, riding a bike. I mean, a few years later, but it's uh, the same thing, the same people we want to keep entertained. The um, tools are different, but the result is kind of the same thing, you know? That's, yeah, it's uh, so cool that some people are like, oh, I'll make bread, you know, <laughs> in, in lockdown. And y'all were like, no, you know what? Let's get back to making games. Well, that's what we did. That's what we did. Um, I, I would like to answer that question a little bit. Um, you know, Ken is the techie guy. He's, he's the guy that figures out the programming aspects of it and what platforms to put it on and dealing with the programmers and all, all of that. And I'm the creative end of, of, of things. And... Uh, from my end, it wasn't. It, it was natural, I guess you could say. I mean, the fact that I would play a game back in 1980, you know, a, a text adventure game, be so taken with it to the point where I just sat down and designed my own game. I mean, having no experience whatsoever in anything like that, and or even how do you begin to do such a thing if you've never done it ever? But in my case, I mean, I've done. Um, over 20 games, some of my my own, some with uh, with others. Um, mentoring, I did a lot of mentoring of uh, designers at, with Sierra, so I had a lot of experience designing games. And so, and plus, I've had played Colossal Cave, <laughs> and uh, so for me, creatively, it wasn't. It, it was. I think it's just natural for me. So it, it just it just fits me, I guess. I don't know what else to say from that standpoint. I think Ken Ken had the harder job to figure out um, the the whole pro programming aspect of it. Getting the world in Unity and all of that, yes. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and learning and learning how to do uh, uh, 3D programming. He had never done that before. No, I mean that wasn't bad. I mean really the. Uh... Biggest adjustment has been um, working with a geographically dispersed team. Mm -hmm. that, um, I mean, if you think about Sierra, we did 100% of all of our development in-house. That uh, other than Half-Life, we worked with an independent group, but in general, all games were developed in-house and I could sit across the table from the people and talk to them and look at their screens. And this has been, uh, yeah, you know, we kind of fired up from a blank sheet of paper where I had to recruit people quickly and uh, get them to work and uh, get them trained and get everybody on the same page. And it's a little tough when some of the teams in New York and some is in, you know, one, one of the team members was in uh, Thailand, one was in Zurich. We have people, um, oh, a lot of people in North Carolina and yet, um, to try to bind it together as a cohesive team that'll work together. And uh, yeah, it's, that's different. That, that was kind of a bigger learning experience than um, it was to uh, figure out the technology. You know, and, and, and I would say a lot of the problems at the beginning of the project came more from trying to get everybody pointed the same direction and not step on each other as we were developing than uh, from any technical issues. So. What was kind of like the aha moment for um, when, sorry, when it all came together, when things started to kind of like flow and you kind of figured out what worked best for you and your team? Well, it, um, yeah, I, 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 there, there really wasn't one until, um, you know, it, when, when I kind of figured out I needed to be uh, coordinating everybody 
and mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, initially everybody could kind of uh, do their work and check in to one uh, big repository, mm-hmm. and we constantly overwrote each other's uh, code. Oh, no. um, yeah, I mean, it was it was kind of a mess. I mean, people would check in art and overwrite code. They would check in code and overwrite code. And it felt like we were going nowhere. And then finally, I kind of put myself in the center of it. You'll see in the credits for the game, I'm described as ringmaster, not as uh, <laughs> any other title. And it feels like that. It feels like I'm standing in the middle of a circus tent with a whip kind of as the people walk around me. Yeah, something into the center and I drop it into the game. No, I can I wouldn't say a whip. I would say you're like a conductor okay. of an orchestra. Like it's more like it's more like that, yes. Uh, so lion jumping your yeah. in the background. Like. Yeah. <laughs> no, it, it, I mean the other thing is just realizing all of a sudden the um, freedom to have the entire world to pick from as we were assembling mm. the project. You know, in the early days of Sierra, because we were located at Yosemite, uh, the best people I could get were amongst a small group of people that were willing to uh, move to Yosemite. All of a sudden, I had this enormous freedom of being able to kind of look anywhere in the country, anywhere in the world, pick the best I could find and assemble a team and put them to work within a day or two. You know, in the old days, you know, you had to wait for people to relocate. Fly out for interviews and all that too. Like it's a time. Yeah. yeah, wow. The friction. Well, this was super efficient. I assembled a team quickly. Yeah. I um and and better than um, in the Sierra days. And throughout the day, if somebody's working on something and is stumped, I just say, hey, flip me your screen, and uh, I can go into debug with them. I can step through code. I can mm-hmm. look at things instantly. It's a um, yeah, I mean, it's kind of a nice way to work. I mean, yeah, I, I asked myself constantly if I was still running Sierra, would I let people work at home? And, um, yeah, I honestly don't know. I probably wouldn't because I'm kind of compulsive. But, um, but then again, you know, in this particular project at this time, it has worked really nicely. And I don't mm-hmm. think we could have done what we've done without uh, being able to... Um, quickly assemble a team and to work as closely with them. I, it really feels like we're all in the same room because we chat constantly throughout the day. And um, yeah, it's been a great, I mean, it's, it's a, been a wonderful experience in a lot of ways. Yeah. It's just kind of like, we're like pandemic, obviously a horrible time for so many people, but the way it's kind of like reflected and allowed us to like embrace remote work or kind of like build things a little bit more constructively. It's just been an interesting kind of like side effect of all, everything. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted to ask too, just kind of like thinking about the experience that you both have, uh, both from like leading a company and programming experience and design experience going from Sierra to now, is there kind of like a unique perspective you feel like kind of having that like um, 1980s experience translating it to now gives you guys while working on this project? Well, uh, what I found kind of interesting and, and hadn't really realized is that um, I, I kind of think in a sense that choosing to do Colossal Cave, an old game, you know, and it was developed back in the early 70s. I didn't actually play it till early 1980, but um, developed in the 70s. 
text, you know, um, text game. It's like, do any, would anybody even play a text game in today's world? And, and, and if we did do a game like that, um, and take a, a, a text game, very famous, very famous, mm-hmm. um, the very first adventure game. They're, they're uh, Don Woods and Will Crowther are the invent- inventors of it, of that genre. Um, uh, but but take it and and bring it alive with 3D graphics and and a complete you know virtual reality. It, it's extremely immersive. Um, I mean, you feel like you're in a cave. Uh, you really do, and the sound effects and music and and bringing the characters alive and all of that would. It, how's that going to go with with today's gamers? Are they going to are, are they going to accept it? Are we choosing to do something that it would be considered old and you know <laughs> who cares? Uh, and so we we you know we kind of started off with that um, not knowing, um, and then but then finding out that apparently retro games now are are popular um, movies. TV shows, gaming from the 80s, even kind of into the 70s, early 90s, are really popular now. And and I I think, well, maybe, you know, maybe this is was meant to be. <laughs> you know, maybe <laughs> maybe we did accidentally step into something that uh, in today's world um, can can be interesting and 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 do well, and which is, would be nice if it would. <laughs> <laughs> Of course. I actually would love to hear about um, sort of when you're taking something that is so text-based, um, obviously players will have sort of an image in their heads, right? Oh, this is what the dragon looks like. This is what the troll looks like. This is what the axe looks like. Mm-hmm. So how do you kind of approach that and think about like, okay, all right, people will have a picture in their heads, but how do we make that better? How do we make the coolest vision of, of what we're doing? Well, that's that's the um, that's really the biggest question, and the, and obviously, like the first question, we all asked ourselves, um, and, and especially right right from the beginning, we knew we were going to uh, do it in full 3D and virtual reality, and uh, and and so that that made it even more uh, more of a complicated question, and how to do that, how to make it look. And from my standpoint, and and well, and we and we hired and have some really really excellent artists working work, working for us with us that know how to do this, and they're very very talented in their own right. And to work with them in in designing the cave, the forest, the characters, a lot of it just comes down to what you yourself thought of or thinks that it would look like um that i think that would be true for any artist you can't because you can't get into the minds of everybody you know what you know you might think the dragon would look like or uh or somebody else over here uh it's it's you have to kind of go with your own gut really the the way that you think in your mind and you just you hope that it's going to uh, appeal to most people i mean that's really how you kind of have to have to do it and also you look at the entirety of the game you look at the messages the the messages uh, remember this was a text game so the entire game was played with text 
and the messages, the you know the communication between you and your and the game, and the communication that you would get from the game would be from the original designers, Don Woods, Will Crowther, how they de- how they described things. Sometimes they would be extremely uh, descriptive. In you'd go into a room, they called them rooms back then. So you'd go into a room and they would give you a description of what you were seeing. Sometimes it was very descriptive and it would really help us in designing this particular place or room. Other times, not so much. You know, they say, oh, this is a rough passage, (laughs) you know, or, um, you know, or, oh, this is a very large room with five exits. And you go, but they would name it. So they would name it something like the Hall of the Mountain King. And it's, this is the Hall of the Mountain King. There are five exits here. And so we go, oh, what do we do with that? <laughs> okay. And, and, you know, and the very first thing uh, that I asked my, uh, not ask them, but we, we had a lot of discussions early on with, with the artists who were to, um, to draw this thing. You might, we use the word draw, but to, you know, bring it alive. You think, who did, you know, who would you think? The mountain king was if you were a player you know did something you know come into your mind and that sort of spurred me to say you know this cave it has dwarfs in it um it has a troll it has pirate and among other other things and so i said this tells me that this cave has been around a long time with with lots of characters going in and out of it over time you know maybe even from ancient times and you know when i said so i think that the mountain king is from a very ancient civilization that was here and let's let's sort of design a, an ancient civilization for the hall of mountain king and then let's spread it out and say decide where where was this ancient civilization in this cave what did they you know what did they think how they how they sort of uh, built it or decorated it if you might want to say what did they use it as and so we built up a little bit of areas where there's ancient civilization was and then we have the dwarves and so we have our dwarf areas and they they're obviously a later you know group that came in and still there they're still there. Uh, and the troll, you know, where does he live in his area, um, which is a very volcanic area, as it turns out. So the original designers gave us these clues that we could use and we could build upon. And mm-hmm. that's the way we did it. No, it's interesting to see kind of like the ripple effect, I guess, like someone naming that. And even if that, like, I, I don't know if that was like a placeholder name or something or a throwaway name, but they didn't put a lot of thought into it at the time. And then like having this entire world kind of spin out from that word choice, like all these years later, it's just such a cool concept. Yeah, well, we have the original source um, and the original programming, uh, the Fortran for this game that mm-hmm. we were able to we were able to find and get and use. And the nice thing about about that is there were a lot of comments in it by the by the designers and by the original guys themselves oh, and and so oh yeah mm-hmm. and uh it was very interesting to go through that because i had me and the programmers and artists we all had questions 
why did they want to do it this way? Why did they make this decision? And we'd have to, we could be scratching our heads a little bit on that. And, and so we all went into the, into the original code a lot. And mm-hmm. uh, thankfully, it's not, that, um, it's not that complicated of code. And it's not as big as you might think. So uh, and it, and it was uh, and it's and it's pretty easy to go through, but their um, their comments that they made really helped a lot because they would say why uh, sometimes in 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 their uh, in that source and uh, we'd go ah okay that makes sense you know, yeah. and and so getting into the mind getting into their minds was a big part of it. During the entire project, we felt this enormous responsibility to do things right. We knew that uh, there's an awful lot of people, I mean, that uh, this was their very first game. Um, I've talked to a lot of heads of corporations where it was their very first game. And um, people people really, I don't know, have kind of a um, strong relationship to the game. Mm-hmm. And for us to come in and mess it up would not be not be good. <laughs> really, so every time a question comes up about something, uh, we send people scurrying off to the source to find out what happened. Yeah. And, uh, and yeah, and we know that you know even now. I mean, there'll probably be some whiners out there that'll think we got something wrong, but probably I mean maybe not because. We really studied hard, and we took yeah. it very. I, it feels like, um, well, yeah, I, I, you know, and I, I, we keep saying text adventure, but I, I see it more like plum button when somebody adapts, say, a book to a movie. Mm-hmm. I would imagine when uh, Peter Jackson looked at Lord of the Rings, and, and you know, here's one sentence. How do I turn that into, you know, a, a, an Society, entire world? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's. Um, yeah, I guess that's what Roberta brought to the party. It was uh, interpreting it, not uh, changing it, because people like the original work for a reason. And if you suddenly add too much of your own stuff, then you know, then it's not going to fit. So there's been a lot of work that's gone on to make sure that um, we're consistent with the original vision, but also blowing it out into an entire world that'll be you know, fun for a new generation and take advantage, you know, just like movies take advantage of things you can do in movies that you can't do in a book. We were trying to um, do that here. And um, there's, especially in VR, when you play this thing, it is really kind of mind-blowing. I mean, you just won't believe it when you get in there. Just so, recently uh, become a VR believer, like, I bought a headset recently, been playing mini golf in there, like, it's such a cool <laughs> platform, and, like, there's so much you can explore, like, in a room, just, like, walking around in it. Yeah, like, I want to get Roberta to play mini golf with me, so <laughs> I, I think that was one of the programmers the other day, It just so... <laughs> Spooky to see their head floating around and you're talking <laughs> to them. And well, I I would like I would like to do that. I just ha- I haven't had time. I'm I'm chained to my computer doing this game. Yeah, I want to ship the game. I'm yeah, that's that's what I do. Sentence you say to each other begins with once we get this game. Once we get the game done, we can do other things for a while. You can have fun. You can relax. Oh. Well, I I'm, I'm at my computer, Roberta wakes up and goes to hers, and we uh, work until bedtime. time. And that's about it. Yeah. That's our life. 
But it's fun. I mean, it is. It is. The glamorous life of a game developer. <laughs> I would I would love to hear a little bit more about uh, your your spelunking, as it were, into the the source code and some of these comments. Do you remember any particular stories or or interesting bits and pieces you could share with some of that? Oh, get uh, Ken. Can you <laughs> think of any off the off the top oh, of your head? Uh, and actually, I think the uh, commenting we're reading, I think, well, I, yeah, I, I should know this and don't, but I believe that what we're reading is something that was written by a guy named Don Newt, who uh, took the original source code and went through and commented. Um, I'm pretty sure it's not, I mean, there's some comments in there that were from uh, Crowther and Woods, but I believe that the uh, long dissertations that are there were written by... Uh, that for some reason, somebody wrote an entire book-length document based on the source. And um, well, I, I I think that there is um, written, yeah, some of the the commentary is. Um, I can't remember the name of the of of the person um, who. Well, I think it was Don New. Yes, 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 yes. Yeah, but with PH. Yeah, but I I think uh, I've discerned and seen um, actual comments from the program uh, from the original. Um, I shouldn't say original designers. I say that all the time. You know, uh, Don Woods and Will Crowther is also in there. But there is, a, you know, but but uh, Don Newth, right? Um, I think he interviewed them and and put their um, comments and their thoughts into this original source. And there's a lot of information on this game. Uh, there's a documentary that was done called Gap Lamp with uh, Crowther and Woods. Yeah. And there's um, thousands of websites that you can find if you Google the game. Mm -hmm. It's a um, yeah, it's a pretty famous game. And really, <laughs> even um, yeah, there, there was a cool moment when uh, Roberta and I recently were on a stage with uh, Ron Gilbert, who did Monkey Island, and uh, he was mentioning his first game was uh, Colossal Cave. And then looked over at Roberta and I and said, "Aren't you guys working on a game?" As uh, it's not <laughs> okay by any chance. Yeah, yeah, right there, right there in front of the audience. <laughs> and we go, "Yeah, it's that very game." <laughs> it's just so many. You know, I'm talking to um, Bobby Kotick at Activision. He's saying, "Yeah, his first game was uh, Colossal Cave." I mean, everybody. It's a um, uh, yeah. So I, I don't know. We we feel like. Because Roberta and I, I mean, truthfully, didn't um, didn't need this. I mean, it was kind of a filler. And uh, I, you know, there's uh, no part of me. I remember when I started Sierra, the whole goal was to build a big company and you know, go public. I remember that was my big goal in life. And um, Roberta and I um, are at a different stage in our life where we're not really thinking about um, creating a big company and you know, getting lots of projects going, and now it's really more about we just want to do something cool that people enjoy playing. That um, it's just a fun game, and and bring a, and and bring uh, and bring a bit of history, um, in uh, in in this industry, in our industry. Um, I mean, it happens in movies all the time, you know, or, or books where somebody will write, um, um, you know, a novel or. You know, or movies that are older, and then bring them back again. You know, re refilm them and bring them forward. But I don't know that we've done a lot in our industry to to bring back older um, games. 
and this is blockbuster like your resident evils that are getting remastered and stuff like that yeah so, yeah it happens foundational games that influence so much it, that just kind of like well you need this emulator and you have to run it like a dock box on your computer yeah like even get it to run on modern machines like there's no accessibility there yeah and we just we just wanted to um say this is this is the beginning of of uh computer gaming and and video gaming <clears throat> and uh it's part of history and it's a it's a history of our industry and that's what we wanted to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I've, I've never played Colossal Cave, uh, but I've played games that have been influenced by it before. I played like a lot of series um, mm-hmm. entertainment games growing up, so like the strings are there. It's just it's yeah. such an interesting, I guess, cultural touch point in a way that like maybe a lot of people didn't know their favorite games were influenced by this or about like exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and this is done in a way nobody's going to think of it as an old game. Yeah, that's that's important. Right. Yeah. Right. It, it, it became a big game. It's funny how, you know, the um, 
when we first started, we thought it was going to be kind of a filler project, and suddenly it took over, you know, what, it, it's taken us almost two years to get the darn thing out. But, um, That's video game development, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we we had no concept what we were getting into. Yeah, we'll say if we'd known what we were doing, would we? Would have we have done it? it? Yeah, and, uh, the answer is always the same. Are you kidding? <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, I mean, but we feel good about what we're doing, and um, the interface was probably the the hardest thing to really figure out. Um, because it was a text-based parser game, you would you communicated by typing in um, your own ideas of what you might want to try to do, oh, with only one or two words, of course. But um, but at least you felt this freedom of being able to type in, oh, you know, I want to drink drink the water, you know, drink water out of your water bottle, you know, or I want to pour it out, you know, or I want to, um, I don't know, fight the snake or wh whatever, you know, and uh, how do we, we, we're not doing a parser, you know, we're not, we're not doing that. It's not, a, this game is not a text game. So how do we give the feeling to the player that they have as much freedom to communicate with it as it felt like in the original, but you're not a parser. And, um, and that's where I think my experience in designing adventure games for Sierra really came in because um, uh, you know, when, when Sierra first started, our, our adventure games were also parser-based. Parser and we spent the first few, probably the first five, six games we did were parser-based. And Mystery House started out um, with just one and two commands you know with your parser just like this game colossal cave but then every game after that we'd add to the parser you know we'd add more synonyms more things you could try to type in and do the it uh, would be as simple sentences as opposed to one or two words and then we could put two, together two different ideas of things you might want to do in one you know one big sentence and so we kept trying to improve the parser and then, all, and then all of a sudden, I just had this uh, sort of insight that, uh, you know, not everybody wants to type into a parser because then they don't know what to say. You know, they don't know what to do and not everybody knows how to type very well or then maybe they mis misspell words and all that. And, and so I had the idea of the, the icon interface where you'd have on screen if, if you want to walk or run, a little little person running or walking, or the eye to look, or you know somebody talking, you know a mouth talking, um, inventory, a little bag you could put, click on as your inventory, um, hand for do something. So I came up with that idea to try to consolidate communication into these these adventure games, story based games, by these icons and to figure out how to still make it feel that you you can communicate with it and get what across what you wanted to do and so I took that and uh, and and sort of doing essentially the same concept with this game as well 
I have like a very specific memory. I played uh, Pepper's Adventures in Time um, as a kid, uh, which mm-hmm. is like a zero game. And like there's like the cursor, I think you use chewing gum on something, and it shows your cursor with the chewing gum. Or at least I remember yeah, it that way because right. I played it as a kid. But like that's like the exact image for me. Yeah. Mind, so. That's basically, I mean, kind of the idea of what we're doing and uh, with cursors, where mm-hmm. um, we've got all different kinds of cursors. And um, and um, so you so you do feel that freedom of being able to to go around and do what you want to do and and um, and, no, and nobody's telling you you can't. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, adventure games are about adventuring. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. This game's actually kind of um, different than what most adventure games are in that. Um, I mean, for one thing, it's not it's a puzzle game, but it doesn't really deadlock. You can wander pretty much everywhere in the game, and a lot of the game is just exploring and running around and seeing all the cool sights. Mm-hmm. It, um, it's got a lot of action in it, which you don't classically see in adventure games. I mean, it truly is an action game. It's got a point system and scoring that you don't normally see, and there's a lot of replayability due to those elements. It's... Um, and there's, you know, I, I don't know if I'd call it AI, but something similar where a lot of the game is looking at how you're playing it and adjusting the challenges it's throwing your direction based on what you're doing. It, um, you know, I, I, I thought a lot that if, uh, if I'd had everybody at Sierra really study this game and learn it the way we have now prior to designing their games, I think they'd have been a lot better games. This is a... Um, there are reasons this game has survived for 50 years, and it wasn't just that it was new. It's that it really is a well-designed game with some truly um, interesting aspects. Yeah. It's got everything. I mean, it's got exploration. It's got a, a ton of strategy. How you can go in and play this game changes from person to person. And um, it's got a lot of levels. It's it's puzzle based, but it's also got some story. Um, and it, it doesn't stop you from going whichever direction you want to go. It's not um, a lot of adventure games are very linear, including many of mine, uh, <laughs> uh, because you're stressing story so much. And when you are stressing story, you have to kind of keep it in a in a pretty linear um, mode to keep the story together. Um, I mean, you can allow, obviously, exploration, but you, at some point, you got to bring them back, you know, to keep the story going, and so it would have more of an of a linearity to 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 these kind of games. But but this game is not that. It's not linear at all. So um, so you have a lot of freedom to just go around wherever you want and figure stuff out. It's such a cool, just like concept for a game, and like especially in the context of every thing you guys have been talking about, like right now about like keeping it faithful to the original and like themes in like older adventure games that are present in this and how it deviates. Like it, there's so there's so much going on, and I'm like, I don't know. I'm honestly I'm really interested to check this out. It's a great pitch for a game. I hope that the rest of the development for you guys goes <laughs> yeah. really well here. Um, <laughs> but we are about at time here, so I'm gonna have to cut this short. Okay. Um, but I appreciate so much um, you guys both making the time to chat with us today. Uh, yeah, best of luck on the rest of development and on the way to launch, right? Yes, and thank you so much for having us. And we, we appreciate it very much that you uh, wanted to talk about our game. <laughs>